It's really difficult to even kind of get into the mindset, which again, I think when you want to be employee centric, which I think you do have to be, if you want to attract, engage and retain the best people, you have to kind of like put yourself in the shoes of that employee, right? But a lot of the answers to a lot of the questions about hybrid work always go back to HR foundational uh, principles. And I think that's why McKinsey said, you know, most companies will not go back to nine to five, five days. Most companies will not go to a Brian Chesky Airbnb style uh, remote work solution. Most companies will choose something in between. Hello, everyone. Hi, hi, hi. Can you hear me? Yes, you can. I think you can. Hi, my name is Ruby Nguyen. I'm the co-founder and CEO at Curious, a professional on the job learning network. Uh, in other words, you can think of it as, as LinkedIn for on-the-job learning and development. And uh, today I'm going to host this program and welcome to People, People 2032. And thank you for spending your precious Monday with us. Um, you're at the right place because we aim to turn your Monday blue into Monday rainbow with a lot of great ideas that you're going to hear about. Uh, a little bit of introduction about um, People People 2032 is a very special series about the future of work, the future of human resources, the future of people in Vietnam. And is co-produced by Viet Success and Curious. Uh, we are proud to present the very best ideas from leading HR and people experts with global know-how and Vietnam insight. And today, we're going to talk about hybrid workplaces. How are we going to future-proof the future of workplace and the future of work? And uh, a little bit more about the program today, we're going to hear a keynote speech by Dan Van Rossum. Um, and then we'll have an interview session where I selected a bunch of questions um, from you guys sending in in advance and questions that I find um, I want to challenge Dan about. And then after that, we'll have uh, the live Q&A uh, session where you can ask uh, your own questions as well. So without further ado, I would like to introduce our feature expert today, Dan Van Rossum. And he's the CEO of two really amazing companies, Dreamplace and FlexOS. Uh, FlexOS is a platform that helps companies in Southeast Asia launch and manage hybrid workplace with a team of 50 workplace strategists, technology, design, hospitality, and employee experience specialists. Um, I've known Dan for a few years, and I know he's an obsessed investigator of happiness at work. And today I'm going to challenge him on this matter as well. So let's uh, put our hand together. <laughs> you can clap by yourself in front of the computer. And welcome, Dan. Here you go. I would love to hear from you. What do you have to say about hybrid workplaces? Great question and great introduction. And thank you so much for, for having me today, Ruby. Um, so I think I'm going to share my screen. And if that works, then the future of work has arrived. Oh, it seems to be working. Okay, there we go. So, you know, what, what, what else can happen? 
Um, so, hey, everyone, uh, really nice to have you here on this uh, session. Very much look forward to, as Ruby just said, your best and hardest questions uh, about hybrid work or employee experience or future of work or anything in that realm. Um, so a little bit about what we'll go through today in this first part. Um, so this really is all about hybrid workplaces. How can we future proof the workplace of the future? Um, so first of all, we'll talk a little bit about developing a hybrid workplace. You know, why should you do it? Why should you not do it? Uh, is the future here to stay? Will it go away now that the pandemic is over? Um, are your business and your people even ready for hybrid work? But maybe also what are some of the challenges that companies face when they adopt hybrid work and what are some strategies that they can use to, to tackle those challenges? So um, that's what we'll go through today. A little bit uh, about myself uh, as this uh, slide template had an about me page in it. So I thought, why not? Um, so as uh, Ruby just shared, I'm the CEO of uh, FlexOS and the CEO of DreamFlex. Uh, before that, I ran a company called Bright, which was a happiness uh, startup. And before that, I worked at uh, Ogilvy for almost 10 years um, across their Amsterdam, New York, Chicago, Singapore, and eventually Saigon offices. The reason why we started this new company called FlexOS is because we believe and we see in the market, at least from more innovative companies, that there is now a different way of thinking about the workplace, uh, and that's called hybrid work. So. Hybrid work is basically, uh, you know, sort of short description, any type of work where it's not fully in the office. Uh, it's also not fully remote, but there's some combination of working in the office and working from home uh, and maybe even working from some third space like uh, a coffee shop or maybe a co-working space. Um, that's, that's what we call hybrid work, right? So it's a hybrid between kind of work from home and uh, work in the office. And if we believe... McKinsey, but I'm sure uh, Ruby will challenge me on this later. But if we would believe McKinsey, then 90% of all companies are going to switch to hybrid work in the next five years. And that's a global number. Um, so 90% of all companies globally will switch to some kind of hybrid work uh, over the next five years. Um, and that is not really surprising. If you look at sort of the demand for hybrid work, not only in Vietnam, but also in the region uh, is, is definitely there. Um, so we did a, a study uh, last year about Gen Z in the workplace. Uh, we saw uh, that was done together with Decision Lab. We saw that only 9% of Vietnamese Gen Z wants to work in an office full-time. Um, we saw from recent Cisco research earlier this year um, that most employees also feel that their role can be performed just as effectively when they're at home as they're in the office, which, you know, again, just thinking very simply, like I, I feel that that makes sense, right? What is really in the office that you don't have at home now that you have a laptop and internet uh, anywhere? Um, and then there are specific things like in, in Vietnam, uh, again, this is from manpower research, uh, people saying that, hey, actually, if I have more flexible work, if I can work only certain days of the week in the office, that's really good for me because I have to commute less and commuting, especially now with the increases in fuel, Commuting is both extremely expensive, uh, very pollutive, and also it just adds a lot of time onto your workday. Um, and so I think that's why also a lot of employers have seen that, you know, they were so worried about this one thing called productivity. Actually, people who work from home are more productive, not less productive, because you basically skip out on an hour, hour and a half, two hours of uh, commuting. Um, and that's in Vietnam. When you look at uh, into the broader region and you look into more developed markets, like for example, Singapore, 
it's not even a demand for hybrid work anymore. It's, uh, it's a must, right? So in Singapore, for example, there was some research that showed that almost 70% of Singaporeans said, if I don't get flexibility in when and where to work, I will quit my job. So again, it's not, it's not that bad yet here, but you can sort of imagine, right? Like if you, if you get a little bit further into it that, you know, once you've kind of experienced flexibility and then your employer says, uh, -uh not anymore, come back to the office nine to five, five days a week. Uh, you may have people saying, yeah, then, then forget about it. Now, one thing to kind of acknowledge here is that hybrid work is a spectrum, right? Because we said anything that's not, you know, fully at home or fully in the office is hybrid. And that could be something like, you know, you get four days in the office and you get one day of flexibility um, and either you or the company chooses um, when and where to work. Uh, it could be fully flexible, meaning that, you know, you could fully choose when and where to work, or it could be something in between where a company may say, you know, our team, let's say the marketing team or the engineering team, we all come in on Tuesday, and then you have to choose one more flex day per week. And that constitutes the hybrid policy. So depending on the company, hybrid can mean a lot of different things. And that's probably embedded in that idea McKinsey saying, well, almost every company is going to go through some kind of hybrid work because hybrid doesn't mean I'm just going to leave it up to the employee and let's see when they come in. It could be something like even four days in the office, one day at home, and that one day is flexible. So that is a little bit about what is hybrid and how does it take place. Now let's look a little bit into why hybrid. So uh, like Ruby said early on, if you have a boss who is saying, hey, I, I don't like this idea of giving people more freedom, more flexibility, you know, maybe these stats can, can help you. So quickly screenshot these stats and send them to your boss. Um, so first of all, maybe the most obvious one, if you have less people coming into the office, you can obviously save a lot of money, right? Because you don't need that big of an office anymore. So companies that are already going through the process right now of maybe at the point where they were renewing their lease and they had to choose how much office space do I really need? They may think about the fact that even before COVID, most desks weren't occupied, right? Because even in a traditional office, even before COVID happened, you know, there were people who would, out, who would be out on client meetings. There would be people who were taking annual leave. There would be people who, for whatever other reason, weren't in the office in that moment. Um, and some international research shows that on average, uh, only 60% of desks were utilized, meaning that 40% was basically sitting empty. That space that you're paying for, right? As a, as a company owner or, or someone in finance, you're seeing that, that check that you have to write every day to, or every month to, to Dreamplex or someone, like, uh, or someone else. You know, that's a check that you have to write. And, and usually it's a very expensive one, right? After salaries, it's usually the highest cost that a company has to pay. Um, and so if you're switching to... Uh, a, a kind of office where, you know, you have not a desk for every employee because some employees only come in one or two days per week and you can basically share one desk between two or three people. That means you need a lot less space, right? So that means if you're a fast growing company, you have to rent less additional space. If you're quite consistent in your headcount, it means that you can actually decrease some of your space at your next uh, lease negotiation. Um, and that's, again, that's real money, right? Imagine if you're spending 30, 40, 
uh, up to, I can see Deutsche House from here, uh, up to $80 per square meter if you can save half of your office space and also all the operational uh, costs that comes with it, right? Think about service charge, think about air conditioning, think about everything that you have to do for every square meter of office space. So if you can reduce that by 50%, that's a huge win, right? And then really great, really employee-centered companies reinvest that into employee engagement or into great offsites or something like that. Otherwise, it's just, it's just a win, right? You save some money. So that's the first one. Uh, the second one is, again, this is kind of what people are expecting. This is kind of what people are wishing, right? So if you can be, especially in this market, one of the more innovative companies, one of the first companies going into this way of working, then it looks extremely attractive from an employer branding perspective. If a candidate can choose between three, four different companies um, and three of them say, well, you have to come into the office full-time five days a week. I don't care where you live. We are in D1. Uh, and then you have an option of a company that says, well, the pay is pretty much the same as your other offers. The benefits are very similar. The opportunities for growth are very similar. But actually with us, you can flex even just two days per week and giving you more balance between work and life and, and allowing you to kind of arrange your schedule for when you're most productive or when you're most creative or when you're most engaged. Um, that may be a very compelling reason to, 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 to get to attract that, that person. And, and I think, again, like for most companies, you know, you're just a group of people, right? So the better that you get at attracting the best people, engaging them and retaining them, that's really what we're talking about. Um, so speaking of retention, um, anyone here who is in the HR profession knows that there's nothing more expensive for a company um, and expensive in, in a lot of different ways. There's nothing more expensive than losing your best people. It's expensive to lose people. Yes, that's true. But it's especially expensive to lose really good people, right? Imagine all of the knowledge that that key manager is taking with them that's out the door at the moment that they leave, right? Think about all the time it took to train someone into a role to understand your internal process, your internal ways of working to make them really efficient, really effective. All of that is out the door the moment that you have to rehire for that position, right? So again, if you kind of can believe that this is a real demand from employees in Vietnam, then you, know, you can also understand why this will be totally a retention booster. Um, and then especially if you look at some of the more recent research, there was a great uh, study from the University of Leeds uh, in, uh, in May of this year, looking into what actually happens when you give uh, people hybrid work, you know, people like their job better, more engaged, and they're more committed. Um, and so there's been some Stanford research that actually showed a direct proven link between offering hybrid work and employee retention. So, you know, again, if you're trying to convince your boss of why hybrid, I'm sure we'll still run into some critical questions, right, of the why not of hybrid. But if you're trying to convince someone of why hybrid, uh, keep some of these uh, stats in mind. Uh, and again, all the sources are here on the slide and also happy to share that uh, after the fact. So, you know, that's one thing. Then there are obviously a lot of companies that say, yeah, I don't really care about the research because this university here, this university there, this HR researcher who obviously has something to sell, um, this guy who is running a hybrid work company, of course, they're going to tell me that hybrid work is important. Well, then at least you can say, yeah, but look, everyone is doing it. Right, so you're seeing really some of the best brands and whether they're really large companies or really small, whether they're in a very competitive industry or uh, a, a normal, more traditional industry, you see just all these companies adapting to hybrid work, right? So in Singapore, one of the key markets that we're in, even very traditional companies like HSBC, DBS, big banks, company like Changi, 
uh, Manpower Group, Lazada, going to hybrid right here in Vietnam, you see it, right? Heineken, AIA, Bayman, TikTok, Savos, Coca-Cola, all of these companies moving towards hybrid work, that should tell you something, right? So hybrid is clearly attractive. Um, there's clearly a lot of companies that are starting to adapt now this new way of working. Again, that is not to say that there aren't any challenges, right? Any new thing is painful, um, as we talk internally a lot. I see Ruby nodding, right? It doesn't really matter what you're talking about. Anything new is painful. And that's why there's always such a resistance to introduce these new ways of working, to introduce new models, new systems, because change is hard, change is painful. And as we've been talking, even before we officially launched our hybrid work platform, FlexOS, as we were talking to tens of people in the region, even globally about well, you have done the transition to hybrid work. What were really the main pain points for you? We always hear three key things. Number one, the hybrid schedule. Okay, if hybrid is a spectrum, what is the right one for me, for my company? Is it the same for everyone in the company or is it different by team? What is the right thing to do in terms of giving people that flexibility? And then how do I know that people adhere to it, right? So I could say to people, you can come in two days per week You've earned that flexibility. We want to be a cool employer so that you can take great TikToks about your work-life balance. But how do I actually know that you're coming in those two days per week? Because if we're giving you that flexibility, you know, maybe you come in Monday, Tuesday, but I as the manager come in Thursday, Friday, I may get this like nagging feeling that you're never in the office where actually you were just there, but different days, right? So measuring compliance to the policy is something that companies care about a lot. And then also having the data to improve that policy over time, right? If we see certain teams doing extremely well within that hybrid policy, but other teams extremely poorly, what can the teams that are doing really well transfer to the teams that are doing poorly in terms of how to have great hybrid work teams? And then also, you know, maybe should the hybrid guideline be adjusted based on what works for that team? So that's, that's a really big thing that companies run into um, and that's, again, it's, every transition is painful, every new thing is painful, but it's one of those things where, again, measurement and data does help a lot uh, and creating that sense of clarity with people. Uh, the second one is the hybrid office itself, right? So I said very nicely, oh, you know, you can save 50% on all your office expenses if you just decrease the size of your office. But obviously there's a big difference between going to the office, trying to remember when that was still the case for me, going to my office maybe three or four years ago, and walking into the room and having a desk with a monitor and my personal belongings and probably a stack of paperwork I need to review. Uh, or going into a hybrid office where it's all empty desk, clean desk policy, uh, all lockers, uh, no drawers, right? Uh, you have to reserve a desk maybe ahead of time and making sure that there's a good balance between the amount of seats that you have and also the amount of meeting rooms and phone booths that are now important um, maybe more than ever, uh, having a good balance between the amount of space that you have and the amenities you have in the office and then what people need, right? The worst case scenario is that on certain days, all of your people show up and everyone's complaining that there's no space, there's no desk available, there's no room available. And then on other days, the office being completely empty, right? So the managing that hybrid office is another really big pain point for companies. And then, you know, again, the thing that probably we care about the most, which is, how do you make sure that if people only come in once or twice a week, or even if they are in the office three days a week, but their colleagues are choosing three different days, how do you still feel connected to the company, 
to the culture, to the sense of community, the sense of belonging of being in that company? How do you avoid the risk that is definitely out there where if you're just doing everything like right now from behind the Zoom screen, you know, maybe changing jobs is as easy as changing my Zoom login, right? So I want to avoid that as a company and therefore those things become way, way, way more important. So uh, I'll just end with kind of sharing beyond the, you know, why is hybrid great? What are the challenges? A couple of practical tips of how you can sort of overcome uh, these challenges. And probably the first thing we should, we should start with is, again, how do you create that great hybrid working schedule, right? Because this is really difficult for companies to figure out. And I know even for us with a 20 person company, we've struggled a lot trying to think about, okay, what's reasonable? When should people be there? So how can you basically make sure that the working schedule fits with your team? Um, so we recently had a really great uh, event uh, that we did online uh, for the Singapore market where we talked to chief people officers and other people people uh, in Singapore uh, leading really, really large companies about these challenges. And one of the presenters during that event uh, was uh, Renee Kira. So Renee is the global head of people and culture. Speaking of an aspirational job, global head of people and culture at GoToFinancial, obviously one of the largest uh, startup successes in the region. And so she basically shared like, how is GoTo doing it, right? And this is something um, that we've also seen from other companies like, for example, HubSpot. Um, I think Figma is doing something very similar. Uh, we have a whole database of hybrid policies that we can, uh, we can share with you. Um, but she basically said that like, well, for us, and again, they have thousands of people, right? For us to say to people, hey, we're now supporting hybrid work and you know, just choose whenever you come into the office would be completely impossible. So they said we did profiles and you can choose every six months, which profile do you want to be? And by choosing the profile, I now have the data to plan ahead in terms of how much office space do I need? How much remote benefits do I need to provide? Uh, how many home office upgrades, because they do that too, do I need to send out uh, and, and everything that comes with it? And so they have three profiles that basically their employees can choose from. And I thought it was such a great structure. I thought it would be good to share today. So they have three profiles. So number one is basically when someone says, you know what, I can do most of my work remote. And yes, uh, the very cliche example would be engineers, right? So engineers love to set up a huge workstation at home, you know, big tower PC, uh, five screens around them, probably half of them vertical, um, have, having a very dark room, uh, maybe RGB keyboard, right? And just working remote. But even though I'm mostly remote, I, I probably still want to come in every now and then for maybe, you know, a team connect or an offsite, right? Or a yearly company event. But I choose the profile mostly remote. Okay, good. HR team now knows what to expect and what to deal with. Uh, profile number two is hybrid. So hybrid, they call it a minimum of four days a month. So meaning basically one day a week. Um, but within that, there could be some flexibility, which is really dependent on the team, which is another kind of like theme that we've heard across a lot of the conversations we've had with companies who move to hybrid, which is that they don't do it at a company level. They really leave it up to the manager to build on top of the company policy or leave it completely open to the manager to decide. So I think VNG, I talked earlier this year to Abhishek, their chief people officer. They basically left it up to really top managers to say, okay, for my vertical, for my team, 
I will decide what is the right way of working. And for some of them, it was actually no hybrid. You have to come back five days a week. And for some of the teams, it was fully hybrid. And, you know, you can choose when you want to come in. But for GoTo, it's a minimum of four days a month, basically one day a week, and then having some flexibility uh, based on the team uh, and leadership and also the person's needs, uh, which we can talk to in a little bit. And then the final profile is fully on-site. Um, there are still you know, small groups of people or certain roles where it's actually really important to be 100% on-site. In the VNG example that I just mentioned, uh, similar to GoTo would be, for example, managing the data center, right? So if you're in D7 with the VNG team and your job is uh, guaranteeing 100% uptime, you probably need to be on site in case something happens with the physical machinery. Or uh, if you are a workplace experienced person yourself, you probably need to be in the office uh, quite a lot because you're managing the office, right? So those are basically the profiles that she mentioned. Um, and I thought it was a really good framework. Uh, again, there are a lot of other examples. Uh, we developed a uh, very simple PDF, uh, which is a guideline template, like a hybrid guideline template, which has a lot of other examples of how other companies have done it if you're thinking about how to do my hybrid guideline. Um, so that's number one, hybrid guideline is one big challenge. Second one, the office, uh, I just launched a, because I, I'm, I'm bored, I never have anything to do. Um, I thought let's create more content to spend people even more on LinkedIn. So I just launched a new, new newsletter called Future Work uh, and Ruby, just like we talked before the webinar, also this logo designed in Google Slides and screenshot it. Um, and the first topic was, well, you know, a lot of people are asking about if we do hybrid work, what does that mean for the physical office, right? Should the physical office change? And of course, the answer is uh, yes, because if you only come in three days a week or two days a week, you know, again, your office will look quite different uh, for um, that purpose, right? So you probably need less office space, which means you're sharing resources, which means you need a very different approach to the office. Um, and a couple of the resources that I highlighted in this uh, first edition of the newsletter um, really talked about this idea. And this is a quote from Martin Hess, which is a famous uh, kind of like architect, famous office designer. And he said, the new office, the modern office should be more like a Swiss army knife, meaning it needs to do a lot of different things, even though it's just one thing, it's the office. Uh, and specifically it needs to be a Swiss army knife to cater towards various specific needs of employees. And he broke it down in a couple of key topics, for example, spaces that you can make your own. So when you think about this new office, um, if I'm coming in, uh, it cannot be just a sea of desks, right? If I walk into the office and there's 100 desks for 100 people, again, that's the old style office, right? If I now come into the office, why would I come to the office, right? My focused work, I probably do at home. If I just have a day of Zoom calls, I'll probably do it at home. If I just have, you know, like our sales team has to log into HubSpot and send out emails um, and call up customers, right? I can probably do it at home. So when I come to the office, I probably come there to socialize, to collaborate, to get inspiration, right? And you don't do that sitting behind the desk. So the new style office has much more social spaces, much more meeting spaces, but also a lot of spaces that can be adapted towards the need of that moment, right? You want offices to be very modular, very adaptable. Um, so again, there's a lot more content behind this, um, but that will be way too much to share for today. Um, uh, but there's, there's, there's a lot of interesting thoughts around how can you develop that new office, but beyond the physical space itself, technology can now also play a much bigger role. So on the right here, you see a dashboard, which is from an office called The Edge, in uh, actually in Amsterdam, my hometown. 
Uh, and the Edge is really cool because it's one of the most sustainable offices in the world, but it's also one of the most personalized offices in the world. So actually every tenant, every person who rents space in the Edge gets an app where you can control in all the different areas of that office. And it's, it's a huge office. You can control the air, uh, you can control the temperature, you can control the lights all directly from the app, right? And so actually technology gives another layer on that idea of personalizing the office, because again, the office now needs to be the Swiss army knives. It needs to adapt to all kinds of different use cases. Whereas previously it was always very simple. The office is the office. You come there, you sit down and you do your work. So, so, so the office needs to change as well. And that also will really help in creating a better hybrid workplace. Um, again, more than happy to answer more specific questions, but let's leave it at that for now. Uh, and let's go to the last one, the last key challenge in hybrid work, which is really around employee engagement. Um, and I just read this on, uh, on LinkedIn. Sorry, I spent too much time on LinkedIn. Uh, last week, uh, Ben Hemley, who is a work futurist at JOL, JOL has done some research and they basically shown that the more hybrid someone's work pattern is, the more that they feel like they lack strong connections with their colleagues. So just think about that, right? It makes a lot of sense. There are all these benefits of hybrid work. It's really great that you don't have to commute to the office, waste all that time on the motorbike, spend fuel, pollute the planet, all that. But there's also some downside because if you're just sitting at home, all your interactions are going to be more just with your direct team, the people you have to do your work with. They're going to be in organized meetings, but they're not going to be in that sort of really nice social fabric that the office had by default. You don't run into random people anymore from different teams, right? You don't have those like water cooler moments or in our office, the waiting for the coffee machine moments, right? And there's a reason why there's only one coffee machine because we like people to queue up and run into each other and talk to each other and maybe meet someone that otherwise you wouldn't have met. Uh, probably the best example of that is Steve Jobs, who when he designed the Pixar office set in that huge office for like 2000 people, there's only going to be one bathroom. Well, not one bathroom, but there's only going to be one area for bathrooms, again, with the idea that then everyone from no matter what team you were in, you had to travel to that area to go to the bathroom. Therefore, you would run into people. So that lack of connection uh, is something that is, is, is very, I mean, it's kind of scary, but it's also a challenge, right, that we have to somehow solve. Uh, Humu uh, from uh, probably one of the coolest HR startups, like I wish I came up with that idea and raised that kind of money. Um, Humu is from, from Laszlo Block, and he basically combined AI with really great HR, like the great foundational HR, and combined it with HR and does nudges. Anyway, you have to read up on Humu. It's, it's really fantastic. So anyway, so Humu did research about, okay, what do managers need to do to create really great hybrid workplaces? And when you actually ask employees, what for you are the most challenging aspects of hybrid? Number one, building and maintaining relationships with colleagues collaborating with others, number two, communicating with my team members, number three. So you see that like we think hybrid work, oh, it's gonna be so difficult because of productivity, because of this, because of that. It's all about that sense of connection, that sense of community, that sense of belonging, that feeling like I have a tribe that I belong to, which you had when you're coming into the office and you see everyone, it disappears. And it's not to say that you cannot solve it, it's just that it's a challenge that needs to be addressed very methodically. Right. And one way to do that is to, you know, go back to the basics of what really great HR does. Uh, Microsoft said that, you know, if you look at specifically uh, remote teams, only half of remote teams say that they have 
strong, thriving relationships um, with their own teams, let alone with people outside of their team. So, you know, really great HR was always about, you know, how can I get to know people on an individual level and therefore be able to deliver them really great employee experience, right? If I know, you know, again, with my small team of 20 people, it's not that difficult to get to know my team members really well and therefore know that, hey, if I'm organizing something um, around design thinking, like we did last week, then I know exactly which one of my employees or my team members to invite for that event. These things obviously become a lot more difficult when you have large teams, right? When you have, um, like I think someone from Shopee is here with a few thousand people, becomes quite difficult to sort of get to know, you know, three, 4,000 people uh, as an HR person, because again, as HR people, we have enough to do, right? So that's obviously where technology can come in and where you can sort of use technology to deliver employee engagement at scale. But I do really think that it starts with, again, going back to this sort of like overarching theme of make it my own, of personalization. It needs to connect back to what I'm interested in, right? I'm sure Ruby with Curious, uh, you didn't think about, okay, let me just do some mass content that applies to everyone. No, it's about what are my specific challenges and how can the, the Curious network and the Curious platform help me solve those specific challenges that I have. So the, the personalization that starts with having good data on your team members is, is really key. And again, it's not, not really that difficult to run a simple survey. It's just that, you know, again, as people, people, we're usually very busy because we have all these different things we need to do. We have all these demands, all these expectations, but that's really where it starts, right? Getting to know your people individually, therefore you can deliver better employee engagement and therefore create opportunities for people to come back and to reconnect and to still, even in a hybrid workplace, still have that sense of connection because I'm creating reasons for you to come back into the workplace. So yes, there are a lot of challenges. Let, let's cap it up with that. There are a lot of challenges in rolling out hybrid work beyond having to convince your boss. There are a lot of challenges. Um, but if we take, again, a more employee-centric view and we say, okay, if I was the employee, right? And I think we've all been employees and in a way we still are. If I was that employee, what would I want for my work? I probably would want a personalized work schedule when and where to work. I probably would want an office that I can fully make my own, that I feel like no matter what the task is that I come to the office for, I can do it well. And that there is some sense of engagement that helps me connect back to my team and my company and my community. I think, again, the things that made the, the sort of like nine to five, five days a week really great. Um, and I think if you take that sort of employee-centric point of view and you develop the office and the workplace through that lens, it's actually not that difficult to run a really great, really amazing uh, hybrid workplace. Um, very much opposite to the call center that I used to go to on my bike um, five days a week, clocking in, clocking out, only basically being considered productive or being considered a good employee when I'm behind my desk. So that's what I wanted to share with you today, uh, kind of my bull case for why hybrid work is really great. Um, so a big thank you for letting me share this. And now let's go over to the questions and hear why I'm completely wrong. So what are all of our day-to-day -day struggles, right? It's like, again, how do we get the best people to join our company? What is, what, how do we make our employer brand stronger? Um, how do we become more attractive for people to both join and stay? All of that goes back to what do people want? What people want is very clearly more flexibility. 
Hey, Dan. <laughs> um, thank you so much for the keynote speech. Oh my God, that was so condensed and very insightful. And um, to be honest, I've been sold, right? Actually, you've sold me on this idea for many years ago. And personally, I've been um, a practitioner of remote work for the last five years, ways beyond uh, before the pandemic. So personally, I'm sold, but um, I'm going to represent uh, the other point of view today. The other because, side? Yeah, the other side. The side that don't agree with you and with me uh, because your argument is very convincing already. But there are other people who think differently in this world of um, hybrid work, right? So, yeah, let's get this skeptical question <laughs> started with a question that is actually sent in by um, an audience of ours from Ho Chun. Um, and he basically talked about the case of Mr. Elon Musk and Tesla, right? So, you know, uh, well, uh, a few months ago, Elon issued a ultimatum to Tesla staff and he said, return to the office full-time or go find work somewhere else, <laughs> right? So does this decision make sense to you? Um, whether you agree with Ellen and whether you disagree with him. And if you were him, what choice would you make? Okay. So shockingly, I'm going to fully agree with him. <laughs> and, 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 I'll, and I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. So again, when we talk about company culture, right? Who is your company? What is your company, right? It's not the things that people always thought about company culture like, the barista in the office or the game room or the napping zone, you know, we may still need all of those, but real company culture is very simply, you know, what do you stand for? Right. And that is basically executed through all the elements and your work policy, right. Whether it's hybrid work policy or a normal work policy reflects that company culture. Now, Elon said, and, and he used language a lot less uh, friendly than what you just said, Ruby, he said, he didn't say go find work somewhere else. He said, go pretend to be productive somewhere else. Kind oh, of saying okay. that if you're not in the office, you know, you're basically not productive, right? And he wants to create a culture where he says, well, when you look at what Tesla really is, Tesla is a production company, right? Tesla is a production company, meaning we make cars. So the real people who do the real work, they're not people logging in, you know, from their little you know, hometown in Ohio doing business development, right? No, the real people who do the real work at Tesla are the people who show up at the factory and design and create, assemble cars. And he said, that is our culture. Like that's the core of what we do. And therefore everyone in Tesla should show up and be a part of that culture. Because I don't want to feel that or I don't want to make people that are assembling those cars feel like second-class citizens because everyone has this benefit of working from a, a beach in Mexico, whereas these guys have to commute every day and they have to show up every day, right? So he said, for my culture, it's important that everyone feels that same level of this is what it takes to deliver the, the total Tesla product, right? It doesn't matter what role you have. And so I can only agree with him in the sense that I don't think he had to use that kind of language. But I can only agree with him in the sense that that's his company, it's his vision, it's his culture. And the people who will not fit within that because of something like this will leave. And he will probably say, that's great. I'm happy that you're leaving because clearly you don't fit within Tesla. 
because we are the sleep on the factory floor people. So that's the Tesla case. Then you look at a complete opposite case like uh, Airbnb, right? Brian Chesky, the CEO of Airbnb said, guys, we're, we're knowledge workers, meaning nowadays the technology is there for us to do our work no matter where we are. And plus we are a travel company. We are a belong anywhere company. So why in the world would I tell you that our motto for the company is belong anywhere? Oh, but if you want to work for me, you have to come into the same place five days a week, nine to five, right? doesn't make any sense. So for that culture, it makes sense to say, we're going to go remote first. So Brian said, okay, it's remote first. You can work wherever you want, but I will organize once every three months an amazing offsite where all of our company comes together so that, you know, towards that third challenge of hybrid work, the challenge of employee engagement, you don't feel completely disconnected from Airbnb and the Airbnb culture and the Airbnb community simply because you're just basically, you know, moving from your bed to your desk and doing your Zoom calls, right? Because every couple of months, there's this big tentpole event where everyone comes together. And then just like we talked in the beginning about this hybrid as a spectrum, then there will be a lot of companies in between, companies who will not take the extreme of you know, we're a factory company, therefore nine to five, five days a week, you're in the office. And by the way, he said 40 hours, I don't consider that full time. So let's say 60, 70, 80 hours per week. And who also don't say we're remote first, you know, go work wherever you want and we'll even give you a stipend to travel and this and that, right? There's a lot of companies that are going to say, well, we want to on one side, acknowledge the demand from employees that they want more flexibility, they want more freedom. They want to feel that we trust them. They want to feel more empowered to say, my peak productivity is Tuesday at 11 p.m. Why would you require me to show up on Wednesday? Because that means I'm going to cut my peak productivity time. So we're going to acknowledge that on the one hand. We're also going to acknowledge the potential savings from having a smaller office, having less operational costs, all the costs that come with a physical office space. And we're going to acknowledge the fact that we'll never be a fully remote company. So we're going to find that sort of happy medium, that sort of happy in between. And I think that's why McKinsey said, you know, most companies will not go back to nine to five, five days. Most companies will not go to a Brian Chesky Airbnb style uh, remote work solution. Most companies will choose something in between where you say, depending on the company, maybe even depending on the team and the manager, we're going to give you some flexibility in return for some, you know, whatever that is, whatever that requirement back is. And I think, again, just to, just to cap off that very long answer, um, if you just think first principles, right? So again, first principles, a company is nothing but a group of people. So the better that that group of people is, the better your company is. If you believe the premise that people are asking for more flexibility, for more freedom, for more choice then there's no way to escape giving people some of that flexibility, that freedom, if you want to attract the best people, if you want to engage the best people, and if you want to retain them, right? I simply think it's not something you can get, you can get out of. Wow, that's awesome. You have answered uh, not just one of my questions, but <laughs> about three of my questions. <laughs> Thanks um, for joining everyone, <laughs> and I hope to see you at the next. No, 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 don't go yet. <laughs> uh, I still have a lot of questions for you. Um, so... Just to recap what Dan just said, right? Come back to the first principle where you respect people and culture first, 
and then make the right decision for you. Uh, a lot of companies are not going to fall into the Tesla spectrum where it's a production company or the Airbnb is fully knowledge worker company. A lot of companies are going to be in the between. So you got to choose the right approach for yourself. Um, so next question for you, Dan. In your research at DreamPlex and in your presentation earlier, you talk about the majority of Vietnamese Gen Z want to have a hybrid or remote work, right? Um, and this is particularly very high, uh, much higher than other generation. So I am curious about why it is so particularly so high among the Gen Z, right? Only 9% of them want to work in the office. The big Gen Z question. Mm. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, this is a tough one because I think for a lot of middle managers and top managers, it's really difficult to even kind of get into the mindset, which again, I think when you want to be employee centric, which I think you do have to be, if you want to attract, engage and retain the best people, you have to kind of like put yourself in the shoes of that employee, right? I think it's very difficult to put yourself in the shoe of a Gen Z because they just grew up so incredibly different, right? We didn't grow up with uh, TikTok. We didn't grow up with, you know, the level of personalization that you're, you're used to if you grew up, um, you know, from 97 onwards, right? Gen Z definition is 9097 onwards. And when I think about how a typical Gen Zer grew up, you know, and what their day-to-day -day looks like right now, I think it makes a lot of sense that they're asking for more flexibility, you think about a Gen Zer, right? And maybe we are, you know, sort of Gen Z in spirit, but for them, it's so normal. It's so natural to open up their phone in the morning and book a grab to get them to the office or on a, on a weekend day. Let, let's use a nicer example on a weekend day, you know, go to their favorite cafe and based on previous bookings, Grab has already sort of like giving you suggestions around Oh, it's Saturday morning, 9 a.m. Usually that's the time that you take a grab to your favorite cafe. Just confirm that that's indeed where you want to go, right? It's so data-driven. It's so personalized, right? It's, and, and that's the norm. If you think about opening TikTok as an example, you know, why is TikTok so much more popular than other social platforms? Just so much more personalized. It's so much more data-driven. It knows so much better what you're interested in, even more than Facebook, even more than YouTube, right? My For You page is probably completely different from yours, right? Probably within an hour of using a new fresh profile, it would already start tailoring it in, in, a, in a really amazing way. So when you think about that sort of, you know, way of living where everything is tailored, everything is personalized, everything is, you know, for you, then the idea of a fixed nine to five, five days a week in one place just doesn't make sense. So I think if you think more empathetically, more employee centric from that Gen Z's point of view and what they're used to, I think it's actually the office and I actually think it's the workplace and the way of working. That's the weird one. That's the odd one, right? Not really all the other examples. It's really that part that really doesn't really match with, with, our, with our point in time. And so that's basically what, what the research is showing, right? They just have different expectations. They have different sort of, you know, needs. And I think particularly in Vietnam, there's also that notion of, but I don't need a full-time job. I can do two or three passion projects and a little side hustle and help my friends with their business or their charity work or whatever. Like I'm not so much 
you know, in this mindset of I need to have, you know, a nine to five, I need to build my career because when I'm 25, I want to be at this level and then I want to have achieved this and this and this, right? So that also layers onto that sort of, again, the challenge for us as employers and as people, people to think about, well, if, if they don't need us, then what can we offer for us to fit with their lifestyle? And this goes back to one very simple framing that I think about a lot. Are you operating as a, as a business leader, as a people people, are you leading from the framing of I'm lucky to have them or are you operating from, from the framing of, you know, they're lucky to have me? And I think that actually drives a lot. I think the best companies look at it from the perspective of, man, I'm lucky to have, as I always think, I'm lucky to have this great team of people that is building this new platform, right? That is, that is creating this company with me. I'm super lucky to have those people. So I will do whatever it takes to keep them happy. And God forbid, if someone leaves to make it really attractive for someone to join, which then you have to really think about, well, what do they need? What do they want? And then you have to design towards that. Hmm. Great, Dan. I think you're a Gen Z in your spirit, and I am 70% Gen Z too. Now, but I'm going to represent a skeptical manager perspective here, right? Um, it's great um, to think of, I really need um, this young talent in my team, and I want to make them feel happy at work. At the same time, it's very hard to um, answer to all of their demand, right? Um, my assumption here is that flexible work or remote work or hybrid work, whatever we call it, it requires individuals to have a certain level of autonomy, discipline, and competency. Um, I'm not saying that Gen Z doesn't have this. I just think that they are very young in developing uh, this set of um, qualities, right? Especially in competency. They, they're new in the workforce. So do you think the majority of Gen Z are ready for what they are asking for? And as a manager who wants to keep them, who wants to uh, make them happy, but you also see that this, this compromise to, made, um, to be made, how, how are you going to communicate this and handle this kind of uh, challenge that you are torn in between? Yeah, very good question. So uh, maybe, maybe at about a month ago, I did a, uh, the opening keynotes at uh, the MMA CEO Summit. Um, with my old boss, actually, um, Soames from Ogilvy, uh, who is now the CEO of Ogilvy Vietnam. And, you know, this is basically kind of what we kind of went back and forth on. You know, he is a, uh, I, want, I will not like talk about his age, but, you know, he is a more experienced CEO. Um, he has seen a few things here and there. Um, and then I'm kind of the sort of archetypical millennial. And then you have the Gen Zers. And we, we went back and forth a little bit on that idea of, well, it doesn't really matter what they're asking for because they don't know what's good for them, right? You could obviously take that point of view to say, you know, kids will always ask for a lot of things, but we know, us grown-ups, we know what's good for people, right? And we shouldn't design towards what people want. We should design towards what's good for them. And I think the point is that that's why we see this spectrum, right? We're not saying that, you know, we should go all out and completely leave people to their own and say, you know, again, here's your, here's the login to your Zoom account. Here's your email address of the new company you've joined. Here's the, here's the OKRs or here's the, the tasks that need to be completed by the end of the year. And I will check in with you mid-December. 
And if you want to come to the office, we have a little office in, uh, in D1 in uh, Sonata's Tower or whatever, right? That's not the point, right? The point is to say, we understand what you're asking for, which is more freedom, more flexibility. But at the same time, we know from Gen Zers, they also still want that sense of connection. They still want to come in. In fact, I think they're driving a lot of that being in the office for social purposes. So, you know, we need to balance that. And that's why it's a spectrum. And that's why a lot of companies, again, will net out somewhere in the middle where it's not fully remote and not fully on site, but it's sort of like giving just more freedom and flexibility, but also where the over-reliance on managers will really start to manifest itself. Because if you're kind of in this hybrid work schedule, you really need much more hands-on guidance, right? If your boss is telling you, well, in this new hybrid way of working, you need to come in every Tuesday because that's our team day. That cannot just be uh, uh, like a compliance matter. Oh, I showed up on Tuesday. I did my job, right? No, you need to make it attractive for people to come in. So for example, in our uh, webinar that we did with the, the, the people people in, in Singapore, one of the other presenters uh, was Susan Chen, who used to work in um, Accenture, then actually in GoToFinancial and then moved to Riot Games. And so she said that like one of the key things that her people team is doing is helping managers create amazing team days where people want to be in the office because they know on that weekly team day, there's always something exciting happening. And that could be because we start the day with a quick, you know, stand up exercise where we all share what we've been working on over the last couple of days. What are our blockers? Where do we need help? Then we move to a co-working collaboration session. Then we do a team lunch. Then maybe in the afternoon, there's always some training and development activity or whatever it is. You need to create more reasons for people to come together. And therefore, the reliance on that middle manager is, is bigger than ever. Um, and so I think that is really something that, you know, we have to think about when it comes to, you know, that sort of what's good for them, right? We need to guide that, right? We need to create ways that we facilitate the right way of working we just shouldn't make it something that's like, here's what's required. Here's what is the policy, right? Here's what we, you need to do. But it's more like, how do we make it again? We design it from the employee perspective. How do we make it exciting for you to come in on certain days of the week? How do we get you to connect with other people? Um, and if we design that very well, then all of these things will happen and you still keep that balance between what they want and what's good for them. It's very dangerous to refer to them as like <laughs> third person. Oh, those people. But you know, you 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 get what I mean. That's an awesome answer. Uh, that helped me a lot in my uh, framework of thinking working with Zenzi. By the way, I've been managing Zenzi for in the last uh, um, three jobs that I have, and uh, most of the time, I always have about fifty percent of Gen Z in my team. So uh, that's explain why I have a little bit of a Gen Z ish <laughs> attitude. It keeps um, you young, huh? Yes. And uh, there's a few really good questions from the audience. Um, but I do have one last question from just my curiosity about you and what you do. Um, it's about you being an investigator of happiness at work, right? I want to ask you a philosophical questions here. What is happiness, right? Define <laughs> happiness. And uh, what does it mean to have happiness at work? Can you share a little bit more about this? 
this is this is so sad for all the people who have super practical questions about but how do i convince coming my soon, boss and soon. how does the policy work and how yes. and then we're like oh let's let's or no but it's, it's a good related. question because i think it's it's all related and i think it's very you know foundational to sort of my way of thinking which is that again if you take the employee as the starting point right if you're truly employee centric then what you and you're really talking about putting people at the at the core right people at the center then of course the key question is well what matters for people and of course you have you know sort of like a hierarchy of needs so you could say well as an employer what i'm really providing is a steady paycheck you know i'm providing opportunities to grow and develop but if it if you look again like what really motivates people right what really gets people um, excited about something right then i think you get more into foundational questions and that's where really you're talking about the much bigger picture which is what makes someone happy and uh, there is a really great happiness researcher called sonia with a very difficult to pronounce last name so i will not try it but happy to share uh, the link uh, to the book and she basically said happiness for me is when you're happy in your life and you're happy with your life so just to explain that a little bit and and i'll use the example of being a relatively new parent, right? I have a 20 month old, I cannot say I'm a new parent anymore. I'm exhausted enough from those like 20 plus nine months to say I'm an experienced parent, but let's say relatively new parent, right? So happiness in your life is basically if I'm currently thinking right now, I'm sitting in this interview, right? Or for you guys, you're now listening for over an hour to me drone about hybrid work, right? How happy are you in your life? And you may say, well, I'm listening to this while I'm thinking about all the tasks I have to do and this and this and this and this. So my, my happiness in my life is maybe a five out of 10 or a six out of 10. Um, if all this talk made you super happy, maybe it's a seven out of 10 or eight out of 10, right? Maybe it's a break away from your kind of day-to-day -day work. So that's your, your moment to moment happiness, the happiness in your life, right? That sort of superficial happiness. And then there's the deeper happiness, right? Which the Greek call uh, eudaimonia, right? Which is basically... Am I happy with my life? So if I would zoom out right now and actually take into account all the things that are happening in my life, do I feel happy? And then I would probably say I'm ex extremely happy. So again, using the parent analogy, the day-to-day, -day, the moment-to-moment -moment happiness of a parent is typically pretty low <laughs> because you're always tired. You're always exhausted, right? You're running after a kid, changing diapers while your Slack messages are popping off, while all these things are happening. You're not sleeping, right? So your moment-to-moment -moment happiness may be quite low, but your overall richness of life, your overall sense of contentment is very high. So that's what I really think about when I think about happiness. And so when I think about how do we create a workplace that makes people happy, I think you really have to think about that, right? I don't think it's so much about are people busy? Do they feel super stressed out? And sorry for my team members who are joining this, uh, this interview and say, hey, I actually am super stressed out. And why are you saying that doesn't matter? I think it matters to a degree, but it really matters. Are you doing that towards a certain purpose? Do you have a sense of this is why I'm working so hard? This is why I'm doing what I'm doing? Because the, the, the happiness that matters at work is more the zoomed out version of happiness, right? So considering everything, yes, my day-to-day, -day, my moment-to-moment -moment may be extremely stressful, and I may hate my job sometimes, some moments. We all have those moments. But overall, if I zoom out, is this a, a good experience for me? Do I feel like, you know, 
I'm building more relationships or I'm building deeper relationships. I'm developing myself as a person and as a professional. Um, do I feel like what I do matters? It contributes something that's bigger than just my, my personal point of view. So, so those are the things that I really think about. And I do think to your, to your point, it, it's all connected because I think that influences a lot of how you create a very employee-centric workplace, which again, hybrid work is just one of the ways to, to deliver on that. Thank you, Dan. Um, I'm sharing a lot of um, similar philosophy with you. Uh, to be honest, I have been thinking about happiness at work as well for myself personally and for my team and whoever I'm going to build and bring in my team in the future. And um, just a fun fact for all of us here, um, in an adult's life, we have about 250,000 hours that we live meaningfully, right? Besides sleeping and, uh, you know, showering and other things. Um, and then out of that, is um, we spend 15 to 150,000 hours out of 250,000 hours at work. So um, thinking about happiness at work is not a uh, wishy-washy thing that, uh, that anyone or business leader have to think about anymore. I think it's important uh, and it's strategic to think about this as a people people or people leader um, because um, the Gen Z and the millennials are now thinking about work as a part of their life. They don't think about it as work-life balance like our parents' generation used to think anymore. They think about work as a part of their life. And here we go. That's why I'm asking this happiness at work question. Now, let's uh, go away from philosophy and get back to practical things. And uh, our audience have a few really practical questions for you. And the question is, how do we manage confidentiality or the risk of employee working for competitors with high work with a hybrid working? Here you go, Dan. How do we manage confidentiality and the in risk hybrid of work? and the risk of employees working for competitors? And the risk of employees working for competitors. Mm -hmm. Yeah, see, so, so to me, again, not to antagonize anyone, but to me, that's like a very employee or employer centric point of view, right? Oh, what happens if I give people a bit of flexibility? What if what happens if I give people a bit of choice in when and where to work? You know, I have these like doom, doom scenarios in my head of they're going to work for somewhere else, or they're going to leak confidential information or this or that, right? I think then let's take one step back. And again, every company is different. So, you know, if you have, uh, uh, if you have more information about like why you're specifically concerned about it, we can probably get more into the details, right? But as a principle, I think you just have to go back to, but why would people want to do that? Because if they're very engaged, if they love your company, if they're really excited to work for you, if the work that they're doing is meaningful to them, if they feel that they derive some sense of purpose from their, uh, from their work, you know, then, then why would they work for someone else, right? Is that, is that like a rewards issue, meaning that um, they don't make enough money? Um, is that because, right, uh, I think uh, another, another really interesting insight from, from, from when we spoke to Abhishek from VNG, Chief People Officer for VNG, he said, I don't worry at all about productivity because, you know, our teams don't have, they don't have time to work on anything else, right? They're fully occupied. And again, if you like the work you're doing, if the work that you're doing is meaningful, um, then why would, you, why would you work for somewhere else? 
So I guess like I would have to understand the specific circumstances a bit more to really answer that question of, you know, what happens if someone works for somewhere else? And I think this really goes back and, 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 and I'm sorry to be so cliche, but a lot of the answers to a lot of the questions about hybrid work always go back to HR foundational uh, principles, which is that, you know, yes, maybe in the office, it's a little bit harder to go and do a side job or to work for somewhere else. But how many times have we already seen, even if you work nine to five in an office, that someone takes another job at night, right? And why are people doing that, right? Again, this is very foundational to HR. You need to support managers to see who in your team is showing signs of disengagement, who in your teams is, even though you're telling them to show up two days per week in the office, they're coming in three or four days just because they love connecting with the people in the office and love connecting with the company. And who are the people who barely come in those two days, right? Which again, why, is, why the data is so important, why one of the first components of the platform we build in FlexOS is measuring hybrid work attendance, right? Knowing, not for, from, from a tracking perspective, but from an engagement perspective, knowing who is at risk. But it's very foundational. And there's a really great, I, I know I've thrown around too many resources already, but there's a really great interview between Satya Nadella, the CEO of Microsoft, and Adam Grant, the really famous organizational psychologist professor at, uh, at Wharton. Um, and and Satya is basically saying, again, like it's all about the middle manager now. And the better that that manager is, the less you have these kind of issues, right? The less that people will disengage. And therefore, you see the symptom of leaking information or, you know, like working for someone else, right? Why, again, like the, the, the first part, right? Why would someone do that? What's happening in their life? Can we sit down with them and talk to them and, and ask them why? And again, this is too hard in a large organization for HR to do. So you need to work with the managers, right? And you need to kind of understand from them, what is that? What is that reason? Why is that happening? Thank you. That's a great answer. Uh, I would like to share my two cents here as well, based on what Dan said. Um, is uh, what you're seeing is a symptom, right? And you might assume that hybrid work is the cause, but um, it's not. If your employee is working for competitors or they are leaking information, there's a much bigger problem underneath that you need to dig deeper into uh, beyond hybrid work uh, as a uh, maybe false costs that um, a mm -hmm. lot of people see here. So, yeah. and, and, and obviously like the, you know, the, the counter to any question about, you know, what's the, what's the, what's the cost, right? Or what's the risk is always like, what's the risk of not doing it? And I think this is why it's good to look at markets, not like Vietnam. Uh, and maybe this also links to Min. So Min's question is about, you know, we all know the famous, <clears throat> the famous no rules rule book uh, from Netflix. Um, you know, we know the, the Netflix culture book, it was all about balancing better sort of freedom and flexibility, but also responsibility, right? Where you basically say, look, I trust you to make the best decisions and therefore, or the right decisions, and therefore I'm letting you some of that flexibility and freedom. Um, and, you know, Min is saying, well, that doesn't really work in, in, in an Eastern culture. I mean, just hop over one country. I guess we have to hop over Malaysia to get to Singapore, right? But, but in less time that you fly from Saigon to Hanoi, you fly to Singapore. That's a, that's a country where the majority of companies are practicing hybrid work, where that idea of people working remotely is the norm. 
um, because it isn't Western to say that, you know, people should have some flexibility, should have some freedom. It's just if you trust your employees, then, then, then that's, that happens almost by default. And I think what you see is that, you know, the more that you do it, the more you stand out. So what are all of our day-to-day struggles, right? It's like, again, how do we get the best people to join our company? What is, what, how do we make our employer brand stronger? Um, how do we become more attractive for people to both join and stay? All of that goes back to what do people want? What people want is very clearly more flexibility. So if you can sort of get over that idea, which I think is very much an idea. I've been in Vietnam for eight years. I've been in Asia for 10 years. You know, I think it's really just a concept that, oh, those things don't apply to us. Just look at one market over like Singapore and just imagine that even one or two or three years from now, this will be the norm. Do you want to start changing your culture today or do you want to wait until all those employees have left your company and all those employees have gone to the really cool brands like Bayman and like Savills and like Coca-Cola and TikTok, the ones that are already doing hybrid work. So I think it's really also about what is the risk of not doing it, right? And I'm not saying, again, I don't believe in remote work all that much. I'm not saying, in, you know, you, you need to leave them completely open and you need to let go completely. I'm really saying, how can you balance better between, you know, what works for you and what works for your teams and provide at least some kind of flexibility? Uh, so as an uh, employer, what to expect from a new remote staff and how to help that person engage with the company then work productively. There's a huge shortage of good HR people. So if you're tuning into something like this and you're working in a company like that, please quit your job. Uh, don't, don't send this video to your boss as your way of quitting. Do the, do the new trends, the quiet quitting. Thank you, Dan. Uh, by the way, everyone, Dan is half Vietnamese. <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, he's been here for eight years. He has a Vietnamese wife and a half Vietnamese uh, son. So he is really he's, half he's not very yes. strange from a Vietnamese culture. So uh, uh, using the Western Asian culture argument against him is tough. It's tough. He's knocked it out of the door. Um, that's, a, that's another really good question uh, from the audience. Um, from from Zhang, from Zhang Gy. If Zhang is here and if you can open your mic, would love to hear from you directly instead of hearing from me. <laughs> uh, can anyone? Can, can our organizing team ask? Uh, Hello. Oh, here we are. Yeah, hey. Yes. Hello, Dan. Hello, uh, Ruby. Hey. Hi, I'm Zhang. Yeah. And I have a questions for you, Dan. Um, as a remote worker, as a remote worker, I'm facing the struggle of learning from college experiences. When I work in an office, I can watch and ask them easily. Learn by watching, I think, is much better than learn by documentation. Uh, so as an uh, employer, what to expect from a new remote staff and how to help that person engage with the company then work productively. Thank, thank you so much for your question. I love this question. Well, first of all, I'm presenting about hybrid work for a reason because I think remote work is extremely difficult to pull off, right? If we're talking about how difficult it is for companies to move from traditional work to hybrid work, 
the move to remote work is a whole different thing. And I think there's only a few, I'm not saying it's impossible. It just takes a lot more work and it takes a lot of different organizational design to do it extremely well. There are great examples out there. There are really successful, fully remote companies like Automatic, the company behind WordPress, they are out there. But remote is extremely difficult to pull off. And like you said, besides the Humo research, which talked about the difficulty of having a social fabric, of having that sense of connection when you're not with your colleagues, at least uh, you know, at some point in the week or month, learning and development is another element that, that really, really, really starts to become difficult for, for remote workers and therefore for companies, right? Because the whole point is when you join a company, you, know, you want to get people up and running as quickly as possible, right? Meaning that you need to teach them as quickly as possible. And if you look into any kind of like L&D framework, you see that 80, 90% of learning isn't training and development. It isn't sitting in a classroom and listening to someone teach you, you know, a, a job skill or a soft skill or whatever it is. It is being on the job. And, and Yang, just like you said, it is learning from your colleagues, peering over their shoulder, being able to ask them a quick question and I think that's the whole point of why we still need to come together to, to have that sort of um, moment where we can do that more intuitively. And your question, your sort of second part of the question about newly onboarding people, that's even worse because when you're joining a company new, you don't even know who to reach out to to ask those questions. You don't even know who to talk to. Oh, is this question too stupid to ask my very senior boss? Um, is there someone in the company that knows this or this? You wouldn't know it. So that's why I think, I'm not saying it's impossible. Definitely there are companies who've done it extremely well, but I think remote work is extremely, extremely difficult to pull off. Uh, and I would be extremely hesitant to run a remote company for that reason. Me too, Dan. I, I am very, I find it very tough to run a remote company. Um, as much as we want to have our independence and, um, you know, have time to ourselves, but 100% remote is so lonely, right? It's so isolating. Uh, you can do it for maybe a few weeks and you feel like, if you're an introvert, you're like, ah, I'm feeling happy. But after, even, even for introverts, like serious introverts, you still need to have social interaction with other people and especially for your teammates at work. Um, so fully remote is tough. I admire people who can do it, but I think I have to observe for a long time to be able to to go there. Uh, right now, um, my team is similar to you. Uh, we are doing hybrid, and uh, we we meet together every Tuesday and Friday afternoon. And I really look forward to those afternoons that when I can see people, give them hugs, and just discuss a lot of fun things together. But I'll, I'll talk uh, a little bit about technology because. Uh, this obviously is, you know, another sort of key sticking point for companies who make that transition to hybrid work, right? And, you know, I think last year when we were all working full-time in an office and then COVID happened, right? You remember the lockdown here in Vietnam? Yeah, yeah. All of a sudden, you know, all these roles that people said, oh, that can never be done remote. Like the accounting team could never work remote because they need to sit here in the office with the red stamp and the blue binders with old invoices and contracts and this or that. And then we, we had to, right? And I that was the whole point that the technology was always there, right? We had Zoom way before the pandemic. We had Skype. We had all these different technology tools and platforms already there. It really was just about, okay, when are we going to make the change internally to actually use those tools? 
and to say, you know, actually, we should sign contracts online, which we finally just transitioned at, uh, at DreamFlex. We just finally transitioned to online contract signing <laughs> because people were saying, no, 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 in Vietnam, you need the red stamp, right? A contract isn't valid without the red stamp, even though even the government has already developed platforms to officially legally sign, you know, all the way up to mortgage uh, agreements, uh, documents. So the tools was always, always there. It's just about, you know, the internal change is much bigger. And now one of the things that you do see a lot in companies is that they, they select a certain tool set. So they say, okay, in our company, we're going to be a Slack plus Zoom plus hopefully FlexOS company. Then of <laughs> course, there needs to be some, you know, companies, we call that like digital literacy training, right? How do you make sure that everyone has the ability to use Zoom, not just the basic features, but all these kind of advanced features where they can quickly mute and unmute themselves. And having those skills can actually also set you apart and help you uh, develop further. So it, it does become something that companies are investing in more and, and making more of an importance, that sort of digital literacy, how are you getting really good at Microsoft Teams or Zoom or how to use these tools effectively. Um, mm -hmm. So you do see more of a move towards that, uh, maybe more than, uh, more than before, because people are more reliant on it now in these kind of hybrid work settings. Okay, I feel some time. It's not a song, but I feel some time. <laughs> that's a good song. Um, while you're singing, there's new questions coming in from Quynh Nguyen uh, from Pharmacity. It's a very big company now already with hundreds of stores uh, around the country and I think about 70,000 employees, right? So um, her question is about hybrid working model to retail industry, right? Where sales teams have to show up at the stores and back office uh, can work in the office or maybe work from home or remotely or hybridly. So uh, do you see any good practices uh, in the retail industries um, going hybrid? Well, here, here, here's the point. And again, we're just talking about very basic, forget about all the trends and buzzwords and terminology, right? Let's just go back to good old fashioned HR basics, right? We're just talking about organizational design. We're just talking about, okay, what do I need to get done as a company? And there's obviously the large company goal, and then there's the yearly goal, and then there's the quarterly goal, and then each team has their own goals. And then under that is OKR, right? What are the things I need to get done? And how do I get that done in the best way possible? And workplace and work time are two factors within that. And if you have retail teams where the work they need to get done is to be customer facing and only doing customer facing work, meaning someone at the cash register, then for them, there is no hybrid work. It's very simple. But if there is even a portion of that job that is computer work or that is admin work, do they need to be in that location? Do they need to be behind the cash register to do that? No, probably not, right? So you look at, for example, hospitality. Um, a front desker probably has most of their time spent on uh, checking in guests, answering the phone, um, you know, answering questions, probably answering a few complaints here or there. Um, but there may be that half day a week where they sort of, you know, have someone else take the front desk shift and they sit a little bit behind the scenes to catch up on paperwork or to fill out reports or to do expenses or whatever it is. At least that part of the job, you could say, hey, you don't have to travel all the way to the office or to the store to do that work, right? If that was like a half day that otherwise you would have, you, you would have been able to do at home, you could do that at home. Um, and so that's how we've done it here. Um, so, so in Dreamplex, obviously, part of the team is very much customer-facing. 
um, they're always there to support people on site. Um, similar to what we talked about, the, the, the VNG data center or the Tesla factory, yes, you have to be on site. So you just look at the portion of the job that can be done off site, and then you give them that flexibility. Um, and then again, if their job is 100% on site, if they need to be 100% on site, because 100% of the time they're standing behind the counter or giving people advice. Um, and I go to Pharma City a lot, so I know how they work. You know, if, if that's the job, then it's also totally fine to it doesn't apply to you, but it does apply to the thousands of people that I know are sitting at the Pharma City HQ and doing all the all the back office work, or doing marketing, or building the technology stack, or you know whatever it is on the on on the back end. Thank you, Dan, for sharing very generous uh, ideas about this. Um, so we can ask you questions all day, but <laughs> uh, we know it's uh, been a while. So I'd love to ask you one last question. Um, on behalf of maybe uh, the HR professionals, head of people, or maybe uh, middle managers, right, who want to uh, adapt this hybrid model for their team, their company, they see the values, but they have some really tough stakeholders uh, to <laughs> convince, right? So um, give us maybe one, two, three really strong bullet points um, so that they can... Um, convince stakeholders to consider this option? Bullet point number one, if you're a true people person, is that the singular version of people people? Yes. If you're a true people person and you believe that this idea of giving your employees a bit of trust and a bit of flexibility, if you believe that's going to be met with extreme resistance within your organization, please go to another company. Why are you working in a company? If you really care about people, why are you working in a company that's basically saying, I don't trust my people um, with even a little bit of flexibility? So that will be bullet point number one. And I, and I mean it seriously, like don't, don't waste tough. your time. Life that's is way too short. No, because there's a, huge, there's a huge shortage of good HR people, as I know from experience, just trying to recruit a new uh, HR exec. There's a huge shortage of good HR people. So if you're tuning into something like this and you're working in a company like that, please quit your job. Uh, don't, don't send this video to your boss as your way of quitting. Do the, do the new trends, the quiet quitting. Um, the but uh, <laughs> the, the Gen Z, Z way, the hey, Gen Z way of I'm quitting. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. But I think, you know, that's, that's really number one, right? Like don't, again, life is so short. Uh, Ruby just mentioned the, the hourly uh, statistic. Don't waste your time. Like, really don't waste your time. Okay, bullet point number two. Let's say there is some resistance, which is very natural. There is some resistance towards anything that's new. This is not about technology. It's not about trends. It's not about models. It's about the fact that it's new. So from that perspective, don't try and sell it as this, here is the stat about Gen Z, and here's why we need to move to hybrid, and here's all the things we're going to change Try to package it because you're really talking about, you know, communication, stakeholder management, right? Try to package it as a very logical, gradual move from where you are now to where you need to be five years from now. Change does not happen within a month. It does not happen within six months, within a year. So please just package it as a step-by-step -step journey where you're going to make some changes now, some changes later, and... Make it really easy to buy in for people, right? And it's really not that difficult to say to people, well, if you look at the type of work, you know, we've run a survey in the company, we've asked people, what is the kind of work that you spend most of your time on? 
what is the kind of work that you spend the, the second amount of time on, et cetera. Hey, actually 20% of, of work is spent on this kind of digital online admin work that can be done from anywhere. Hey, why don't we give people a bit of freedom flexibility? You know, we look cooler. We are a better employer brand. We can now put it on our LinkedIn that we're a flexible company, that we're a hybrid company and let people do that, that half day or one day of admin work at home, right? Or whatever part of their job. So I think package it as something small, as something really digestible and not as this huge project hybrid because that's going to set up all kinds of alarm bells. And then number three, again, just use that logo slide that I shared earlier. And there's a longer version of that and just say, everyone else is already doing it because that is usually the thing that motivates leadership the most. And if they can get over that hurdle, that something will change, something small will change. Just show that all these other companies are doing it and it's actually really working for them, right? All of the tech giants, they didn't introduce it and then six months later said, oh, no, no, we're, we're, we realized it doesn't work. We're going to go back to the old way of working. They introduced it. They're doubling down on it. They're furthering, uh, diving into it. So just show all the other companies that have done it before. It's okay. The water is warm. Just get in. It's not that bad. Right. And then you'll see that, hey, it's actually not that bad. Right. People will not be that worried about it. They will not be that stressed about it. And it should be a seamless transition. We have two documents that could be really helpful. The first one is since I referenced a lot of research just now, uh, we've done a lot more research and we basically did sort of like a bundling of all the key insights from that research, as well as our own conversations with people, people here in uh, Vietnam and also in Singapore. Um, that is packaged together in a, in a white paper called the Hybrid Work Starter Kit, which I can send you. That basically has all the research, so it has all the stats. And then I have another um, PDF that I can send, which is a, a hybrid guideline template, which basically shows you step-by-step step what are sort of the key questions to answer when I want to move to hybrid. And having those answers, uh, those questions answered, will help a lot in selling it in internally because you're basically showing that, hey, I thought about this, I thought this through, I've already sort of like pre preempted what the negative pushback is gonna be, I already have an answer for it. And again, that white paper or that PDF also has a lot of very practical examples of how other companies are doing it. Um, and then for, not for everyone because we wouldn't have enough time, but definitely for sort of the larger, more innovative companies that are making this move, we also have consultants in-house that are more than happy to spend some time sitting down with you to sort of help you prepare the case or help you um, sort of answer any questions ahead of selling it in uh, internally and share some, some case studies. That's incredible. That's a lot of uh, really useful researchers and uh, how-to guideline from best practice in the region and globally as well that is going to come to your inbox from our inbox to your inbox. Uh, this is one of the great benefits of being in people people. So thank you so much, Dan, for your general sharing today. Um, it's really insightful and fantastic. It's so much fun and learning. Uh, before we go, everyone, um, I just want to share a little bit about our upcoming episode. Next episode, we're going to talk about hiring but the Google way, right? One of the best company in the world in hiring. Um, one of the teaser for the People People 2032 sh uh, show, we talk about um, culture eat strategy and hiring eat culture for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So hiring is very important. Next episode, we're going to talk about this. 
you're gonna be back here uh, with us in two weeks. And uh, we'd love to hear your feedback about this series. This is our first episode. We are uh, working really hard and we want to improve this product, uh, People People, so that it become a place that HR professionals in Vietnam uh, go to for really good quality content um, for you to um, become more effective People People. Um, and last but not least, uh, you've heard from Dan. He's a very active LinkedIn user. So we'd love to hear uh, you share just one takeaway from today's session and tag him and tag me and tag our companies on LinkedIn. So thank you very much, everyone. Have a great Monday. I hope you have a great start for the week and we'll see you uh, at the next episode. Mm -hmm.